Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, good morning. Uh, it is a beautiful day, and uh, it's a privilege to be with you. I want to bring you official greetings and love from your sister church at Franklin Vineyard. Did, didn't even know we were sisters, and here we are, <laughs> brothers, whatever that is. Your family over at the Franklin Vineyard, and, and uh, one of the, the dreams, and probably even the orchestration of this morning, is that uh, we would increasingly just create a well-worn path uh, between us uh, in, over the years. Uh, it's been a, a gift to get to know so many of you um, across the years here. Uh, we've lived in Franklin, uh, the area of Nashville, for about six years, and we were 20 years in Canada. So the Great White North has, has our hearts, but not our bodies. And Lord, we want to thank you for these blessings we now receive. So uh, uh, it's good to be here. And uh, it's been good to reconnect in many ways with the Vineyard family across the United States. And, uh, and I'm hoping that there's just an increased, uh, what I sense is already afoot, and I think every one of us knows it, that there's a flourishing of the Vineyard community in many ways, uh, in heart, in mind, in connecting with what the Spirit of God is doing in this generation. And it's such a privilege to be a part of a family that keeps saying yes to God over and over and over and over and over again. So let's pray as we begin, and then I want to share just a few thoughts with us this morning that I hope will uh, in some ways compel us, propel us uh, into the rest of today and the years that are ahead of us. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks, because today is a day that you have made, designed, architected, fashioned, shaped for your purposes to be fulfilled not only in the world, but in us. And we come into this place this morning, in this moment, in eternity, and we respond with that same affirmation that you responded with, Lord Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the face of what would be our greatest fears, the loss of our life. We respond with that same resounding yes to your purposes, Father to your kingdom coming in us, Father, to your will being done, to your pathways being established and reestablished in our hearts and in our minds that we would embody and incarnate your good news in the world. We resonate, we resonate, we resonate with the chorus, the choirs, the thousands times ten thousands of angels singing, the great cloud witnesses your word says are cheering us on. We resonate with the thunder of worship going on in the cosmos right now. And we say yes to participating in your great glory being made known in our day, in our time. Make your works known. Make your word known. Make your love and your truth known through those of us who have said yes to you and have chosen to become human in your way, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks for these moments now and all of eternity. And we say together, Amen. 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 Uh, If you have uh, a Bible with you, uh, you can go ahead and, and turn to First uh, Thessalonians 5.18. We're going to get to it in a minute, but all the scriptures will, will be up on the screen for you. The screen. <laughs> we got our cues together. But you can go back to the opening slide. We'll get to this in a moment. Uh, I've titled today's message, Give Thanks. Uh, when Adam and I talked about me sharing, he said that you all have been in the conclusion, or he concluded last week, a series called Good News. And that was very exciting to me because I love this image of the good news and what it actually means to hear a word, to hear a word from God, to hear a word from others that alters our perspective on the here and the now. And the good news of Jesus was a declaration in him embodying a new good life the way the good life could be seen in the world. And we walk into the malls and we see the good life. And don't we see all the saints hanging there of the good life on the walls in the mall? (laughs) The good life is this style of hair. I love the hairstyles here. You know, my favorite thing is you're in the back room, we're praying before the service, and some of us are doing, you know, the obligatory fixing of the small things. And, of course, Glenn's over there just messing with his hair. (laughs) You know? I'm just like... Just put a hand grenade, boom, that's best, that's the best, you know. 
But, uh, but the good life, we see these images and people will take their gifts and their offerings and they'll go to the little mini altars that are all throughout the store and they will make a great exchange of something they value for something that will help them attain their good life. It's true. They go to the sports arenas and don't we see the images flashing on the screen of all the saints of that good life. It's when your tribe and your colors win the game. It's victory. It's triumph. There's celebration. There's enthusiasm. There's engagement. There is worship. And we do so because as human beings, we are wired to look for, long for the good life, the optimal design for us. And Jesus steps on the scene and he says, oh, there's a new way to be human, as Switchfoot put it. There's a new way to be human, and I want to unveil to you what it means to have a heart that lives in generosity and forgiveness. What it means to be empowered by the God who made you at your core, your core and knows you better than anyone will ever know you on planet Earth. What it means to live in grace and hope, to be a participant in God's miracles in your life and in the lives of others. And he paints this picture of the good life. And all that was to say that Adam said I could preach another message on the good, good news theme. And I said, no, no, but I just kind of did, didn't I? That was just a little, that was an introduction. And then, of course, we were looking to Advent. He said, you know, you could lean us into Advent. Adventus, it means the coming. The coming of the one who's going to show us what it means to be truly human. What it means to know and live in the center as a home, the heart of God. And, of course, I got excited because I just love Advent. And I was leaning there and I thought, oh, no. This week is Thanksgiving, isn't it? It's Thanksgiving. And, uh, and Thanksgiving is, in my estimation, one of the most important ideas that exists in the scriptures and in human language. The capacity to appreciate, the capacity to value. And so I've titled today's message, Give Thanks, Learning the Power of Daily Thanks. And often when I'm speaking, I love to kind of wax theological or, or wax philosophical or wax, as my children say, metaphorical. For my birthday, they actually, this is one of the presents my kids gave me. They said, Dad, we're going to give you 15 minutes of uninterrupted metaphors. <laughs> and they just began to say, you know, life is like blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about ducks and peacocks and large expanses of the great northern sky. You know, they just go on and on. I just... I just cried, thank you. I am known by my children. But, uh, you know, uh, metaphorical. Sometimes I like to to focus on, on being exegetical. But today, I just felt like the Lord said, be practical. Be practical. Because the capacity to give thanks in a sustained, lasting, and lifelong way takes very practical steps that happen moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment and incrementally they add up to a thankful life. Now, my wife and I have been on a particular journey that kind of leads us uh, to this morning. Over the last, I would say, three to five years, we've been on a journey uh, of learning what it means to be thankful people. We all come from somewhere don't we? We all come from families. We all have thoughts running through our minds, scripts running through our mind from our experience, but also from those environments in which we were immersed growing up. My mother is a coal miner's daughter. In northern Pennsylvania, all my relatives live there, and it's a heavy, dark environment. I would go there constantly in my, uh, in my early years, and my family is rife with alcoholism. There's been death everywhere. People have black lung on, you know, in one corner, in one home, and, and uh, others were trapped in a mine, died in a mine explosion. And I had these stories that were just rife growing up of death and dying and destruction. And so in those northern areas of Pennsylvania, there are a lot of sad people. I mean, there really are. Sadness is more the norm. And joy and enthusiasm about life and, and, and vigor of the heart and mind is really uh, pretty much under the surface for most of them. But for some strange reason, God looked at my mother in a very, uh, it's a crazy kind of spiritual family. There's a lot of spiritual silliness <laughs> in our history. And somehow the Lord looked at my mother as a young girl and he said, joy, trust. 
celebration. And my mother to this day, my greatest memories of my mother, and she's, she's alive today, and I will call her just to get my fix of my mother. <laughs> I will. She's my, my mama fix. Mom, I'm here for a mama fix. Okay, <laughs> let's bring it. Let's bring it. So just start laughing. She laughs incessantly. My mother laughs at everything that happens. She is playful. She's joyful. When someone hangs their head and plays an E or, oh, it'll never work out, my mother says, what do you mean it'll never work out? It's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We've got each other. Let's do this. And I'm just like, wow, this little gift emerged. And it wasn't based on faith that she found it. She found her faith later in life. But my mother was just this bastion of hope. And I, I was raised in this environment. Now, I was also raised with a lot of folk legends. That uh, <laughs> There's a lot of urban legends in my head I'm trying to continually get out. Uh, every time I see a thunderstorm, I'm afraid to go in the basement and ask me about that sometime. Uh, <laughs> I was raised uh, learning we just don't do that sort of thing. And, and so, uh, so I had my mother, but then I had my father. He was the son of a soldier. My father is a muller. My father is a thinker. My father will look at a situation, and it's very difficult for him to look at a situation and see the flowers first. My father tends to see the weeds. He's a fixer. He realizes that by critical analysis, we could just turn... Some couples are looking knowingly at each other. You know? My mother can see seeds and see the bouquet with the eyes of vision. My father will tend to mull it and analyze it and figure out how we're going to plant this and all the possible things that could screw up this thing growing into a flower. But he will mull and he will reflect and he will talk about it and we will talk and repeat the same phrases endlessly. I tell all my friends, you know, I'm sorry, if I repeat myself 18 times in the sentence, it's my dad. And if I laugh in the middle of your sentence, it's something random that happened in my mind, it's my mother, you know. But we were raised in an environment, and the environment I was raised in, while there was this sense of joy in some levels on one side of my family, and this sense of, of quiet, contemplative reflection on another side of my family, the air was not thick with thanksgiving. There was some positivity there. There were dashes of, of some things that I think have strengthened me today that God has used, because he uses all these things, doesn't he? But we didn't have the language of thanksgiving. It wasn't the knee-jerk response. Our first nature response is what it is for most of us. When something bad happens, what's the first thing we do? Now, some people are saying, did you say praise the Lord? Bless your heart. Would you take this microphone because we need you now? Right, well... Sometimes some people are at that place. Many of us, our first nature response is, oh, or it's fear, isn't it? It's despair. It's, oh, some of us cuss. Be honest. Some of us cuss in our minds. Some of us don't keep it there, you know. But we have a response. We have a reaction. It's typically negative. It's typically the impossibility of the situation. It's typically something that suggests that God may not be good or the universe is random, isn't it? And onto the scene of our lives comes Jesus, and he begins to model a new way of approaching adversity, of approaching difficulty, and it centers around this idea of giving thanks. And my wife and I are increasingly becoming convinced, and I, I don't want to say this, you know, it's like when someone's talking about prayer, they say prayer is the key to all things in Christ. You know, someone's talking about worship. Worship is the key. I've done that like 893 times. Worship is the key to all things. But I really believe this. The, the capacity to give thanks will determine your lifelong intimacy with God and will determine your capacity to taste the joy of the Lord on a daily basis, no matter the circumstance. We've been deeply influenced by a particular book, if you haven't heard of it, 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. And uh, she's become, uh, she's a, a poet, prosaic voice in the body of Christ that's having a tremendous amount of influence simply because of the singular theme and all that she writes about and thinks about of thanksgiving, what she calls the hard Eucharist. The word Eucharist that we use for the word communion literally means the great thanksgiving. So when we break the bread and take the cup, it's the great thanksgiving. For the early church, the bread and the cup was not focused on the cross, and the crucifixion. The bread and the cup was a celebration of resurrection. It was the celebration of the light coming into the world. It was the great thanksgiving for the gift of God, for the people of God, his body, his blood shed for us, his life raised again so that we can be raised with Christ. 
That was their understanding. And in this book, she talks about the life of Eucharistio, which is a Greek word. It can be pronounced 18 ways. But the life of Eucharist, the life of thanksgiving, and how we enter into the hard thanksgivings within our journey. So I want to get practical in just a few minutes. But the first thing I want to do is go through some scriptures with you about thanksgiving, then unpack just a few ideas about thanksgiving, and then I want to move us to be very, very practical about how we can become people who are living in the power of thanksgiving, who are living the essence of the grateful life. And you're going to need your smartphones at that point. So make sure that you have enough battery, power down so you can save up, because we're going to have a smartphone moment together for those that have them. Does anyone here not have a smartphone and you're on a calendar? How many of you are afraid to actually say that in this group? (coughs) Awesome. A drummer without a smartphone. God bless you. Lead us. Lead the way. Lead the way. He himself is an app. He doesn't need one. Love that. Just tap, tap, tap this guy. Anyway, okay. I digress. I digress. Let's go through a few scriptures. Of course, first of all, this first one, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, let's read these out loud together and just resonate a bit with this, this chord that runs through the scriptures that vibrates with the heart of God on the theme of thanksgiving. Let's read them together. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Next. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. That is a classic case of poor editing. So the Thanksgiving line was all I really cared about. They're singing about thanks. Okay, Psalm 95, 2 to 3. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Next. And this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 9, 11-12 You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 1 Timothy 4, 4 4-5. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Colossians three seventeen. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Next one. And again, let's read this, this central passage for us today. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A number of years ago, in uh, July of 2009, a flight took off from LaGuardia Airport in New York City or around New York, and it was bound for Charlotte, South Carolina. And as the plane reached about 3,200 feet, a large flock of Canadian geese came full on at the front of the plane. And the geese hit the the windscreen of the airplane and went through the engines. And the people who were, were on the flight, they simply heard loud bangs and cracks as the geese kind of made, some of you are grossed out right now, made their way through the engines of the plane. 
Well, the, the, the plane was not very high. 3,200 feet is not very high. And it began to descend and falter. And a man uh, whose name is Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger took over. He made a quick assessment of the situation and began to do a number of things as the incident happened. They heard these loud bangs and he began to determine if the plane had the height or the time to make it back to the airport. And his assessment was instantaneous. How many of you have ever heard of Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink? He had a blink factor, an intuitive factor that told him immediately, without much time passing, within the first 30 seconds, that this plane would not make it back to the airport. They would have to land with 155 passengers, either on a freeway or on the Hudson River. Now, for us, we think plane landing on the water, that's got to be easy, right? (laughs) But it's not easy, especially when you have no engine power. But there's something fascinating about this particular captain who happened to be there at this particular moment in time. He was known as obsessive compulsive when it came to the flight simulator. He was always in the flight simulator on his free time when everyone else was out doing their thing as pilots. He was back in the flight simulator learning over years, over decades, how to handle his plane no matter the circumstance. He also took extra courses in glider piloting. Well, at this point with this airplane, as the geese went through it, it actually became a large glider in the air. And he had to begin to navigate this, this large glider with very little power as it descended toward the earth. And so he began to do uh, a few things, uh, which I just passed by in, with my finger. The dangers were clear. He knew that if, if he landed uh, the airplane at, at the wrong angle as it hit the water, it would flip head over head, probably killing all the passengers and destroying the, the craft. He also knew that if he landed incorrectly on the current, the current would suck the plane under and everyone would be drowned on the plane. And so he began to maneuver the plane so that it would, it would land in flow with the current. But it would land in such a way, he banked actually a hard left, so that it would land in such a way that he would, it would push the water, it wouldn't be sucked under by the current and it wouldn't begin to flip. And he began to just work the controls. He began to work the controls. Now, do you think panic was waiting at his door, screaming in his ear? Fear, despair, all those feelings and emotions and ideas that come pounding on us as soon as a crisis hits us. Well, of course they were. But something very unique happened for this man. His second nature virtues, his second nature training took over his first nature response. Instead of responding naturally to the situation, which we often elevate and even deify in our generation, it's all about what comes naturally to you, man. It's all about how you feel about it. Isn't it about how you feel? If you feel it's true, it probably is. Welcome to our generation. If it feels true, it probably is. We go with what comes naturally to us. We always talk about pursue your passion, pursue your passion, pursue your passion, right? God will want to use your passion. He will also want to use your greatest weakness to make his name glorious. He will also want to use your skills that you have built over a lifetime for such a moment as this. Do we think all the scriptures that poured out of Jesus came simply because they were hand-delivered by God through him? He spent his life, as we see in the earliest parts of the Bible, studying the scriptures, eating them, devouring them, getting them into him so at all moments of truth, he could simply recite the word of God. And in the desert, he confronted the enemy of his soul, the language of despair, the fear, the desperation with the word of God. He had resolved it because he had become it. And in that moment, This pilot had become something other than what he would be naturally. He had become something that was even superior to other skilled pilots of his day. He became the man who was needed for that moment. And all of his skills applied and he landed that plane on the Hudson River. And every single one of those 155 people walked off the wing and were rescued. They walked off that wing because he had trained himself. He had trained his second nature to become his first order response. Well, Thanksgiving is like that. 
And the capacity to give thanks, I believe, is something that must be learned. Especially if we grew up in environments where thanks and appreciation, both to God and to people, wasn't the primary language in our homes. Whenever we'd have a crisis in our home, worry was the winner of the day. (laughs) We'd just worry. We'd just start wringing our hands and wondering, how will this ever work out? And I realized, and my wife has realized, we needed re-schooled by the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes we want an experience. We just want God in a prayer and ministry time, which we'll have. We just want God to, as we open our hands and say, Holy Spirit, come to make us thankful people. But I'm convinced that character is never conferred in a momentary miracle. Just the fuel and the energy and the capacity to live it out is conferred. God's grace and his spirit empowers us. And that's what makes this different. The giving of thanks according to the scriptures different than an Oprahized folk theology, power of positive thinking. You can do it if you depend on yourself, vision of being appreciative or thankful. And that's the kind of language that's out there over the Thanksgiving season, isn't it? Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. And I'm saying I cannot be a thankful person without the power of the Holy Spirit creating me and recreating me into the person of Christ who is the most thankful person who we've ever seen on planet Earth. And I began to just immerse myself in these different books and ideas. And my wife, I can never tell the difference between my wife and the Holy Spirit. Any other husbands in that boat? I was just I like, I can't tell the difference. It's true. I, I really can. Um, and she will school me. We'll sit down. She'll see one of my first nature responses, and she'll sit me down and say, Dan, now remember, we don't do it that way anymore. We don't freak out first. We don't panic first. We say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And she has taught me this prayer that is just killing me, and it's killing me softly with his love. <laughs> Telling my whole life with his word, killing me softly. But she said, here's your first response. When you're on that phone call and that relational breach happens or that problem happens and someone can't get over their issue or you're finding something coming up in you that you never knew was there. Have any of you had that? You're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. Perfect storm. Someone does this, this happens, a miscommunication and boom, despair, fear. You know, I dealt with severe depression since I was in junior high school. It's only been in recent years and in part through this idea of learning to give daily thanks that it's, I've been set free and delivered in many significant ways from it. Still rears its head, still tries to tell me it's my boss, but I have to remind it it's fired. You know, these dark clouds are, are not, not the winner in this game anymore. And so... I want to just run us through uh, these few ideas and then begin to give us some practical tools to make daily thanksgiving uh, something that is in our blood, that's in our psyche, that becomes our natural first order response because I believe it must be learned. I believe it must be learned. Let's go through a few ideas here. Thanksgiving is an exercise, Ann Voskamp says, to break down the nodding scar tissue from the fall. It's not a nicety, but a powerful habit that can literally change our mind physically and alter our perspective. The proactive practice of thanksgiving to God enables us to reframe our perspective when our vision is skewed. Have any of you ever had a painting or a picture and you changed the frame? Or you changed the background on the wall? Did it alter what you see? Absolutely. It all goes together. And thanksgiving for us can reframe the situation. My, my good friend, uh, Walt, is a psychologist. And, and uh, we did a number of courses in, in some of our master's programs in, in re-scripting, restoring our situations. And, uh, and you see this image. I mean, how many of you have had Jesus step into an area of, of wounding, of tenderness in your life and restore it for you? Say, well, you could tell yourself this story the rest of your life about what happened here. But let's try another story. Let's try another story in which I'm good. In which the universe isn't random. In which I was there when your father said these things to you. In which I was present when this difficult thing happened to you. And actually, I helped carry you through. Let's restory the situations of our lives. And Thanksgiving actually changes our mind. It helps us restory. Keep going. Thankfulness is the door to my presence. That's what uh, the book Jesus Calling says in its July 24th piece. 
Thanksgiving requires us to believe in the goodness of God. If you are not anchored in the goodness of God, you will lower your theology to match your pain. Isn't that true? If we're not anchored in the goodness of God, we will lower our theology to match our pain. And I have heard pastors from pulpits declaring theology that is about the level, the size of their pain and discontent and struggle. Thanksgiving alters that. It lifts our capacity to see God as who he is. The one who is perfectly good has your best in mind and has your back in every circumstance. Next one. I'll turn this way now for this side. Um, Thanksgiving, uh, sorry. Thanks, uh, was there one before that or no? That was it, okay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks builds trust within us. It creates the trestles that hold the bridge up between two cliffs. Thanks spans the gap, builds the inner support that trust needs in order to operate quickly and efficiently. As we learn the art of thanksgiving, a support system begins to be built. Have any of you ever seen a sinkhole at play? Where a dry, in some cases, a river dries up underneath a major highway and all is well. All is well until something too heavy and too big and there's too much wear and tear happens. And then all of a sudden it caves in and everyone goes, ah, we never knew the sinkhole was there. What Jesus taught us to do was to fill the sinkhole by daily incremental acts of worship and thanksgiving. And we become something other. We become substantial people. We become people with what the theological term is gravitas. We become people who are weighty. We become people who, like Mother Teresa, was very confusing to atheists. Because they knew how to argue with uh, people with maybe less substantial lives. Whose words were louder than their actions. They didn't know what to do with Mother Teresa. They didn't know what to do with that kind of weight of character when she looked them in the eye. It was piercing. And she would say over and over and over and over again, my capacity to love in Jesus' name is directly connected to my ongoing gratitude for all he has done. Fascinating. When I give thanks for the seemingly microscopic, I make a place for God to grow within me. This, this makes me full and I magnify him with thanksgiving. And God enters the world. What will a life magnify? What will your life magnify? The world's stress cracks, the grubbiness of a day, all that is wholly wrong or terribly busted, or God. Next. Back to our verse. So this morning, in our remaining time, I want to give us some practical tools. And the first thing I'd like us to do, this is actually going to be a high participation morning. I'm so sorry. But you don't have to participate. You may officially say pass by just ignoring everything I say. Have you ever been in a room, you know, and someone says, let's all stand. And you're like, no, let's deal with me. You know, I got my own little world I'm building here. Don't need input. Anyway, you, you feel free to do that. But I'd like us just for a moment to stand. And I think you can go back to the very starting slide, the uh, anaphora, if you would. Do you see that there? The very, it's the very first slide, I think, after the... Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Okay, uh, did I just say let's stand together? <laughs> well, <laughs> what to do if the entire room passes? <laughs> Take said awkward moment and turn it into laughter. Okay, so um, this is... Uh, I don't know if we, we can't really see the top... This is, uh, it's, an, it's called an anaphora. It's an early Eucharistic prayer that happened, uh, that they think was, was written about 215 AD by Hippolytus of Rome. It's in what's called the apostolic traditions, where some early documents of what the early church was doing, how they were worshiping together. The fascinating part of, of some of these early documents in uh, a book called the Didache, the early Christian writings, is that they were documenting the, the works of the disciples of the disciples. And it's fascinating to read it. Yeah, you'll enjoy reading it at some point. It'll be a little thick sometimes. But it actually sounds very much like the New Testament. You're getting the disciples of the disciples. And this was a documentation, or this, this comes from a documentation of those early Christian practices. Now, I'll tell you what, can we just jump up to the opening slide there? You thought you were going to relax. You're not going to relax with me. We're going to go for it, man. Okay. This image is one of the earliest Christian images. Uh, early Christian art continually shows Christians gathering to pray, to worship, to give thanks in a standing posture and with their hands raised and faces raised to heaven. 
So we see these images everywhere. And this is one of the earliest Christian images. I believe this is in one of the catacombs uh, of a Christian standing uh, in worship, but in thankfulness with their hands raised. This was an ancient Hebrew idea that you would extend your hands in thanksgiving. So you can go to the next, next slide there. And this is called the anaphora. It's actually uh, what's called the summa corda. You didn't know you'd learn this much Latin this morning. The summa corda, which literally means the lifting of the heart. The lifting of the heart. And this was a common practice. Every time they would gather, they would do this together in the early church or versions thereof. So I'm going to play the bishop for a moment. And uh, it's going to be a responsive thing that we do, but we're going to do it the way that they did it. Their understanding was is this was accompanied by a physical action. So everyone, just for a moment, just take your hands, if you would, and just kind of open them up like this. Okay. And now go like this. And now go like this. <laughs> and now go like this. And now wave them like you just don't care. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was, that was wrong. She used the microphone that way. Um, but let's just lift our hands like this. Okay. And now just, uh, you can close your eyes or keep them open. Just tilt your head back for a moment. Okay. This was the posture as far as they can see. Yeah, we're all in now, aren't we? <laughs> and I will get, we'll start singing worship. Okay, you can put your hands down now. This is the posture that we're going to take at a certain point in this anaphora, which is a Eucharistic prayer, a Thanksgiving prayer that they would pray. So I'll say, the Lord be with you, and you'll say. And then I'll say, with raising my hands and face, lift up your hearts. And in response, you'll lift up your hands, tilt your head back, and say, we lift them up to the Lord. And then we're going to leave them like this. And I'll say, let us give thanks to the Lord. And we'll all together say, it is good and right to give thanks to the Lord. Amen. Okay, you ready? Here we go. We're going to do this. So we're actually now going back about uh, around 1,700 years, 1,800 years to join in uh, with, with the, the saints in this proclamation of thanksgiving. Okay, so get ready to raise your hands and, uh, and keep your eyes open or close and whatever you like. The Lord be with you. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord. It is good and right to give thanks to the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay. So my friend, uh, Daryl Harris, is uh, a wonderful man. Uh, he and I are always having these two-hour conversations about contemporary worship music and what he really thinks about it. And then uh, I play the, what are you talking about, man? And then he comes back and then he realizes, oh, by the way, I really love it all. Yeah, I know you do, but it's a good scrap, you know, because he loves to be immersed in silence. He would love to walk into a room like this and have silence for half an hour. He finds it very immersive, uh, very beautiful for him. So we had these great conversations back and forth. He's a fascinating man. And he said to me this, uh, last night, I was driving here, and I just called him up, and, and I spent a little bit of time on the phone. I said, Daryl, you know, we're going to be talking about giving thanks in the morning. Do you have any thoughts from church history or and anything you, you might think would be helpful? He said, oh. He said, oh, physical action expresses spiritual intention. Physical action expresses spiritual intention. Anyone ever read C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters? Older demon teaching younger demon. And one of the key things he says to him, he says, if you do anything, get that Christian to not connect their body with their inner life. Get them to disconnect them, to think that this doesn't matter, that this just matters. What's going on inside that no one else can see? He said, see if you can get that disconnect. If you can get that disconnect, you can win them. They will no longer be formed by their outward actions. They won't be discipled by the physical things that they do. The reality is when we kneel, when we lift our hands, when we receive, when a child does this and we respond this way, when we say, I need, and someone responds with, here's provision." When we give physical actions, it changes us from the outside in. We're not only changed from the inside out. And so this idea is very important for us. Now, I want you to take out your smartphones. This is going to be a great moment in sports. Have you ever done anything on your smartphones in the middle of a message? No, I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean personally, Ray. He's over here Facebooking, you know. Boy, I wish we had some good teachers. No, um, I want you to take out your smartphone. And uh, how many of you have, uh, for those of you that don't have a smartphone, you have a calendar, you're just going to take good notes. 
Do you even use a calendar? Are you organized at all? Okay, then we're going to be fine. So here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, if you have an Android, does that have kind of a Siri function where you can talk to it and it sets appointments for you? Okay. We're going to set an appointment for ourselves. It's going to be called Give Thanks. In the early church, they realized that without an ongoing regimen, without ongoing habits of thanksgiving, they would become something other. And with ongoing habits of gathering and thanksgiving and worship, they would become something else. And so they decided to use the Roman marketplace hours to determine what we call the daily hours today. At 6 a.m., three hours, 9 a.m., three hours, 12, three o'clock, six o'clock, nine o'clock, then midnight and three o'clock, which I'm personally not sure exist. But they would have these times of prayer. And of course, the midnight hours are another thing. We call them Vespers and Compline and all these fancy terms. But the reality is they understood that if they built something incrementally into their lives, if they gathered to pray, if they gathered to hear the word, if they gathered to give thanks together on those three-hour increments, whenever the Roman marketplace bell would toll, that they would become like Christ over time. That those days would add up into weeks, would add to months, would add to years, would add to decades, would add to a lifetime of becoming something. And so I've uh, just begun to do something based on some encouragements from other folks where I take those three-hour increments and I simply set an appointment on my phone. And I do this. Let me see if I've, I've written it correctly because Siri rejects certain things I say and then it gets awkward. I'm arguing with a phone and... And uh, it's just, uh, okay, ready? Set an appointment every day for me at 9 a.m. Give thanks. Okay, I can create your meeting. Note that you already have two appointments that overlap with this. Shall I schedule it anyway? Yes. Can you program Siri to respond to whatever? There you go. Oh, now she just wrote that. She wants me to schedule an appointment on respond to whatever. No, that's not really what I was after. Okay, so I want you to take your phone. It's just an experiment with me. And I want you to tell Siri, uh, I, I, I don't have it up on the screen for you. Set an appointment every day for me at 9 a.m. Give thanks. Ready? Go. Listen to Siri everywhere. This is awesome. Okay, I can... Okay, I... Siri is affirming what we're doing right now. Siri is partnering with God in our... Okay? Okay, you ready? Some of you are having an ongoing dialogue with Siri. You know, Siri, I'm having an emotional difficulty right now. Okay, I'm kind of hungry. Where should I go for lunch? Okay, everybody ready? Here we go. Ready to do it again? Siri, set a daily appointment for me at 12 p.m. Give thanks. Okay, I can create your meeting. Know that you already have two appointments. Okay. Yes, go for it. I scheduled a recurring event starting 12 p.m. today. Okay. Keep going. Siri, set a daily appointment for me at 3 p.m. Give thanks. We'll do one more. Do it up to 6 o'clock. If you're up at 6 in the morning and you want one at 6 p.m., go for it. Siri set a daily appointment for me at 6 p.m. Give thanks. Okay, you got that? For those that didn't do it, you've enjoyed this time immensely. I know that we would take this, this kind of time to do this. But what I want to say here, and you can just keep doing this. Uh, Siri, just go ahead and talk over me. It doesn't matter. Um, 
We're formed, we're formed, we're formed every time we give thanks. Science tells us our brain changes. There are negative capacities, pathways that we have had drilled into us, responses. And what we are experiencing is a revolution in the way we are thinking in crisis. We need to develop a second nature giving of thanks response that is then there in the pocket. There's a hook for it for when the moment comes. You see, we're a feelings generation. My wife teaches uh, uh, childhood education. She teaches children. She said children understand. Well, they don't understand. Excuse me. We see evidenced in children that rote matters. I don't need them to understand why five times three equals 15. I just need them to know that it's true. If they learn that 5 times 3 equals 15, then the moment, the hook is there when they actually have to understand why it works. I don't understand why or how my iPhone works. I just need to know that it does. And Thanksgiving, incrementally, over a daily span of time, made a habit, will become you. There's an old adage that I I love. There's a great TED talk on this. Fake it till you make it. Have any of you heard it? It's like, just fake it till you make it. Uh, Show up until you grow up, right? Try it until you buy it. You know what I mean? But I like to think, do it until you become it. So here's what you can do every day as that reminder comes up. You pause for a moment and you use the physical gesture. I encourage you to do that because it's important. You can lift your hands, you can lift your hands, you can lift your eyes, you can close your eyes. But whatever you're doing, whatever I'm doing, if I am mid-sentence, I take my hands off the keys. If I'm mid-conversation, I finish the conversation because that would be awkward. But I do whatever it takes when I'm driving. When that comes up, it means stop, give thanks. And here's what I do. Open my hands and I say, Lord, I thank you for the last three hours that have passed. Your goodness, your faithfulness, I thank you for more opportunities to trust you in what happened this morning at 1030 in that moment with my child. I thank you that you're changing me. I thank you for the last three hours. And now I turn my heart toward the next three hours. And I thank you for what is ahead. I thank you for your spirit in me. I thank you for the grace that I will have to respond, not just like you. I want to be you, Jesus. I want to be you in the circumstances ahead. So begin to form me, begin to change me. You do that over and over each day. And all I'm going to ask is that you do this for one week. It's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week. Do it for one week. And if it seems like it's a habit you want to begin to extend over the year, just leave the reminders there. If not, go ahead and delete them. But that'll take work and you'll have to intentionally go, I'm not giving thanks. I'm not giving. God, do you mind? Oh, well, you know. But I I like that. It will form you. It will shape you over time. I want to just say some final things and then I'd like us to to stand together. Our negative thoughts are replaced with a celebration of the activity of God in the heaven or hell we are walking through. Negative thoughts assume a godless random world. They are replaced as we give thanks with positive expectations of good from our Father, even if that good is simply the changing of our hearts in the process of our pain. Giving thanks regularly is not naive. It's not an add-on. It's not seasoning on your life. It's it's not a bolt-on. It is an investment at the core of who you are in the appreciation of God's presence in all things. It will change us. When we give thanks, we impart value. We impart value to God's person in the circumstance. We say this is valuable. It's not an interruption. It's not a stepping stone to something better. This is my formation. This is my opportunity to become like Jesus. Giving thanks is a prophetic declaration that all things will be made new. In this circumstance, this day, this block of three hours is no exception. All things will be made new. The last three hours, God is making all things new. And the next three, he's going to make all things new. This is the grace of the Lord. Giving thanks redefines our vision of the present reality by inviting God's vision to lead. It changes our mind, it shapes our attitude, and it presents God's best to us in the darkest of moments. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Would you stand with me?
I want to leave you with this this morning and then just pray for us corporately together. You can literally partner with God in the changing of your mind. You can partner with God in the changing of your mind. You know, many of us as Christians, we learn in the early years like a child to ask God, what is your will? And we want him to speak to us, don't we? We want him to drop it on us. We want him to, oh, that was, that was clear. It was clear. I'm to do this. I'm to do this. I'm to do that. But I'm convinced that the spiritual life is a maturation process, much like my own children are going through. Son is 18. Daughter's 21 and 23. And I'm beginning to see that they say, Daddy, what should I do? And I say, well, we're not going to do it that way anymore. What do you think we should do? You've matured now. You've become someone. You've become this follower of Jesus. What does that mean now? What do you think God wants to do together with you? What is he partnering with you in? What is he leading the way in? Of course he has a will. Of course he has a plan. But he actually trusts you. You can begin to trust yourself. You can begin to trust yourself in this process. And we say, but God, speak. You're not speaking. You're not speaking. He's saying, let's do this. I trust you. Let's move forward. Giving thanks changes us. It changes our minds so that we even begin to trust ourselves more because thanks and appreciation for what God is doing and his goodness is spilling from our lips as an overflow of our hearts. And when it's spilling from our lips, even if it's not in our hearts, it will sink in. It will sink in over time. We can do this. We can change the systems, the ruts, the old pathways, the whining and complaining we learn to do from maybe our father or mother. Men can become grateful leaders in their home. Women can become grateful leaders in their home. Children can become grateful leaders among their peer group as they learn to give thanks as their first order response to challenge and difficulty. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we lift our hands in thanksgiving. Because the good things you begin, you complete. Because the way forward is the way through your heart. Because resonating with your goodness in our songs and in our speech will cause a resonating with your goodness in our hearts and our minds. And we thank you that over time, the giving of thanks, you will use it to change our emotions, to change our thoughts, to create a climate around us that believes, believes, believes in the goodness of God in every circumstance. And to this, like that image on the screen, we say yes. We say yes. Transform us into a people who give thanks. And let us be the archetype, iconic, of you, Jesus, your image being born by us in the world as we walk through it, seeing you in everything and believing that your promises will be fulfilled. We respond to your love this morning with thanksgiving and we all come together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.